DiscerningHearts.com presents The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. For over 20 years, Dr. Bunsen has been active in the area of Catholic social communications and education, including writing, editing, and teaching on a variety of topics related to church history, the papacy, the saints, and Catholic culture. He is the faculty chair at the Catholic Distance University, a senior fellow of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, and the author or co-author of over 50 books, including the Encyclopedia of Catholic History and the best-selling biographies of St. Damien of Molokai and St. Kateri Tekakawitha. He also serves as a senior editor for the National Catholic Register and is a senior contributor to EWTN News. The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me. Wonderful, as always, to be with you, Chris. We're going to be talking about a doctor who is considered one of the greats, St. Basil the Great. Yes, uh, well, with uh, St. Basil, we're uh, uh, continuing our journey through the doctors of the church and the early church. Uh, He lived, of course, from around uh, 330 to 379 and was declared a doctor of the church in 1568 by Pope St. Pius V. Notable, uh, he was part of sort of a class of doctors of the church named uh, at the time of St. Pius V. It was one of the great popes of implementing the Council of Trent. And I I say that specifically because his classmates, uh, St. Basil's other doctors, who were appointed at the same time, St. John Chrysostom, St. Gregory Nazianzus, St. Athanasius, and then, of course, St. Thomas Aquinas, figures who did so much to help clarify the teachings of the Church uh, in their own eras. And, of course, we have that great connection uh, between uh, Basil the Great, Gregory of Nazianzus, and Gregory of Nyssa, Uh, so that they are called the Cappadocian Fathers, uh, and in the Eastern Church are called the Great Hierarchs. So we're talking about a figure in in Basil who is truly a giant in the history of Christianity, but who is overshadowed uh, by his contemporaries in Athanasius and then, of course, by Augustine, who followed the next century. Uh, Overlooked by Dan Brown, I would say, in his research on such books as the Da Vinci Code and other of its ilk. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And yet, here was um, a figure uh, in his time uh, and we'll talk more about his family, that that's worth really focusing a little bit of our attention on. But with, with Basil, we have someone who not just fought the Arians, the Arian heretics, and we've been talking a lot about them over the last weeks, and we're going to continue talking about them. In helping the church to understand uh, the, the truth about Jesus Christ, uh, that he was divine, that, that he was a person of the Trinity, but Basil is also responsible for helping the church to understand the Holy Trinity as a whole, but also focusing even more than that on the the place of the Holy Spirit in the life of the faith. And in that sense, then, uh, one of his greatest legacies is as a kind of herald of the church's true understanding of the Holy Spirit and a whole subset of theology called pneumatology or basically the theological study of the Holy Spirit within the Trinity, but also within the life of the Church. An interesting footnote to this, Matthew, might be that the Pope that you mentioned, Pope Pius V, 
he would be the pope that would have to undergo the, the Battle of Lepanto, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct, yeah, in 1571. So by lifting up this illustrious group of church doctors, he's trying to shore up that church teaching, not only because it's an important thing to do, but also because there was quite literally an onslaught sending upon Europe at the time. Yes, you're absolutely right. And and so we, we see with uh, Athanasius, we see with uh, Gregory of Nazianzus, we see with Basil, uh, these great figures of the Eastern Church at a time when it seemed as though there could no longer be any connection at all uh, with the the Church of the East. It had been overrun by the Arab armies in the 7th century and had been for so many hundreds of years trapped behind a kind of vast Islamic wall. And it seemed even less likely that there would be any sense of Eastern Christianity uh, under the Ottoman Turks who were advancing on, on Europe. But the other aspect, too, to, to look at with uh, St. Pius V is precisely that the context of the Council of Trent and the implementation of the great reforms in the church that, that flowed from that in the wake uh, of the Protestant revolt – and the effort by the council and then by the popes to implement it, to teach the authentic faith of the church with clarity, with zeal, uh, with enthusiasm. And if you're looking for models for how to do that, you turn to Basil the Great, you turn to Athanasius, and of course you turn to Thomas Aquinas. But for our discussion today, in looking at, at Basil, we have a truly great figure. There are reasons why he is called the great. Talk to us about the significance in those teachings about the Holy Trinity and in particular about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, as I was saying, that, uh, and as again we've been talking over the last weeks, one of the things that uh, uh, Basil was confronting, as so many of these figures uh, were confronting uh, in their time, was an authentic understanding of who Christ is. And of course, the Arians, you had the, the theory postulated, the, the, the heretical teaching that Christ uh, was a creature, that there was, as, as Arius said, a time when Christ was not. And it was a titanic struggle in the church, as, as we've been looking at the different uh, other doctors, such as Athanasius, uh, who faced exile and persecution. Basil, working with Gregory of Nazianzus, working with uh, other great fathers of the church and, and other doctors of the church, including Athanasius, worked very hard to help the church to understand that Christ is indeed eternal. He is co-eternal with the Father. He is, to use the, the, the important line from the creed, consubstantial with the Father. But flowing from that, too, was a questioning of the place of the Holy Spirit within the Trinity. Is the Holy Spirit a part of the Trinity? Is the Holy Spirit also eternal? Those are very significant questions. And in his work on the Holy Spirit, arguably one of the, the great texts of the Church Fathers, of, of the early Church, Basil examines the, the Holy Spirit and, and concludes, rightly so, based in Scripture, based in the, the tradition of the Church, that the Holy Spirit is indeed a person of the Trinity. And 
how does he defend that? Well, he, he uses a great phrase. He points to the baptismal formula. And this is, this is the genius of these early fathers of the church and the doctors of the church, that they had a way of expressing things that anyone could follow. It's when you baptize, do you baptize in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? He says, no, you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why? Because they are one, they are co-eternal, they are consubstantial. And in that sense, then, uh, he gave to the church a lasting legacy of understanding the Holy Trinity, understanding the Holy Spirit, and understanding Christ. Now, for a Christian, what possible contribution on the part of a father of the church could be greater than that? Uh, Because that is an understanding that we have, that is the truth that we proclaim, that is the truth that we live, and that is the truth that we celebrate. It is difficult for many of us today, Matthew, to conceive of the Holy Spirit as a person, and maybe because some of the imagery that we've been given, not only in Scripture, but through tradition, he appears as fire uh, or a wind and or a bird. It's difficult that we don't have a face to identify with in in that personhood. Yes, uh, and, and yet... Uh Thanks to Basil, thanks to others, we do have an understanding of the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And we can use even one other uh, wonderful analogy that, that Basil used, uh, and that is that of the rainbow. He, he uses this, the idea of when we see a rainbow, we can see the individual colors of the rainbow and how beautiful it is. And yet, as we stare more intently at the rainbow, we see that the, the colors, in a way, blend together uh, and yet are distinct in their, their hue. And, and that's a point he makes uh, about the, the Holy Trinity, that we can see the distinct persons in the Holy Trinity, and yet we can also understand that they are one. And that rainbow image, I think, is one that... Uh, any RCIA student, any catechist can use today in exactly the same way that you can impress upon the youngest of students in whose name do we baptize. And so it's the clarity, I think, that they provided at a time when there was so little clarity in the great struggle with the Arians in terms of what the Arians were presenting. And With Basil, too, we can chart his own sort of development of understanding in the faith, especially with regard to the Arian position. Very early on, uh, the the language that the church was using needed to be more and more precise. And the Arian controversy gave the church the opportunity to be precise in her language. And you can follow that the Basil himself came to a deeper understanding of the use of correct terms regarding Christ. And the, the, the use of the term consubstantial, homoousion, to use the, the Greek, became, I think, for him a great touchstone in dealing with the controversy. But typical of him, I think he understood and, and remembered that he himself came to appreciate better 
the specificity of language, the importance of the use of terms. And in that sense, I think he was a figure who helped bridge the gap between the Orthodox Christians and the so-called semi-Aryans who had sort of a, a middle position regarding uh, the divinity of Christ and helped bring them through charity and patience to a fuller understanding of who Christ is and what the Church actually teaches. He had a great call to encourage stewardship, a great care of the blessings that God has bestowed on people. And probably one of the greatest gifts is the dignity of each human person. Oh, yes. You know, he was uh, progressing through holy orders and, of course, uh, became the bishop of Caesarea. Now, Caesarea, we have to remember, is a very prominent city in its time. It was a place of great learning. It was uh, in the Eastern Empire, certainly in the area of uh, what is now Turkey, a very prominent place. So becoming bishop there brought with it uh, metropolitan authority. It brought, brought with it great prestige. But, but Basil understood that it also brought immense responsibility. And he was a stunning figure in the Eastern Church. Uh, he is referred to in many ways as a great herald of the church's social teachings. You know, we think of the church's uh, social doctrine as sort of starting uh, with Leo XIII mm -hmm. and Rerum Novarum at the end of the 19th century. And that this is uh, as though uh, some new initiative on the part of the church. Basil is powerful evidence that the church has always had a social doctrine. Why? Because of the, the Social teachings of the church are grounded, rooted in the dignity of the human person. So when he became the bishop of Caesarea, he summoned all of his authority and he, he organized care for the poor. He began literally, he opened soup kitchens. He gave food away during famines. Uh, he divided up his uh, family inheritance and gave it away to the poor. Uh, we know that he established one of the great houses uh, in Caesarea uh, called the Basiliad. And it became known as a city within the great city of Caesarea. And the Basiliad was a place of welcome for strangers on the road, a place of sanctuary for the, the poor, the forgotten, uh, the weak, and a place of healing and dignity or the sick in the city. He excommunicated any Christians that uh, he learned were engaging in uh, prostitution, uh, in forcing young women and, and young men into a life of degradation. Uh, he, he worked to help thieves and robbers uh, to turn their lives around. He helped to train priests for the diocese, for his diocese, uh, to share his love for the poor, to share his gift of themselves uh, to the forgotten, to the weak, uh, to the most humble. I mean, it, it's really remarkable uh, the degree to which he anticipated so much of uh, the, the social doctrine of the church by doing what? By, by doing what Christ called us to do. And in that regard, then, then Basil, I think, is a, is a role model for us today, too. And we can see in him much of Pope Francis. 
Yeah, how remarkable is that? The consistency of Christian teaching, particularly Catholic Christian teaching, would extend over all those years, that they're constantly being drawn from the same source, so that someone like Basil the Great or Leo the Thirteenth, because there's a, a solid foundation which it's all rooted on. Yes, definitely. And, and we can go back to the earliest days of the Church and the Roman Empire. Christianity was something shockingly new. I mean, that, that's an obvious thing. But one of the ways that it was so innovative, so unexpected, so new, was the way that the Christians cared for the weakest in society. And in the, the, the 370s, when Basil was a bishop, he was bishop for about nine years, that stark newness of the church was really felt in a place like Caesarea that still had uh, many pagans that was still in a process of evangelizing the culture of the time. And Basil connects, it's, it's a wonderful bridge between the very early church, the, the church that was working for the poor, helping the, the forgotten, caring for the sick and the dying, of the earliest days of the church in the Roman Empire with today. And there he stands. Um, and for us today, uh, we need to look to him as a model for the faith, but also for social doctrine. We'll return in just a moment to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, 
or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. It shouldn't be lost on any Catholic who would happen to see the beautiful chair that is underneath the, the stained glass of the Holy Spirit in St. Peter's in Rome, that that chair would be held up by those four figures, and one of them, of course, is St. Basil. Yes, yeah. But let's not uh, forget something, too, about this remarkable man. And that is, here was a father of the church, he's a doctor of the church, he's honored as one of the great hierarchs. Uh, he, he left two things that uh, I think in, in the time that we have left today, we can take a, a little look at. One, of course, is his role in developing monasticism, and the other is the celebration that is so worthwhile of his family. And uh, in the history of monasticism, Basil has a very great place. It's sort of been overlooked because we have the work of Anthony of the Desert and in, in, in shaping so much. We also have, of course, the work of Benedict of Nursia mm-hmm. in Western monasticism. Benedict himself uh, greatly honored and revered Basil for his contributions uh, and especially his greater monastic rules and his lesser monastic rules uh, that were translated uh, into the Latin from the Greek and actually found their way uh, into some of the the thought and uh, writings of Benedict himself. What's lovely about the rule of St. Basil is that uh, he doesn't stipulate sort of these hard regulations in terms of the administration of a monastery. Rather, he's exhorting uh, through his, I think, about 26 chapters and 95 individual rules, uh, the themes for how to live. Uh, for example, he, his, his very first rule says, live together for the sake of helping each other, comforting, instructing, exercising the virtue, the power of prayer, and security from danger. Uh, and then he, he talks about that uh, monks should be ready to give their wealth to the poor and the needy. Uh, but then he also has the more practical things, that monks should possess all things in common. And that uh, any, any monk who arrives late by his own will to a meal should be held over for the next one. Little practical things like that mm-hmm. of how to live a life of humility, uh, to speak with moderation. Uh, and all of these things point to his desire himself to live within a community of prayer. You know, he, like so many of his contemporaries, geniuses, uh, could have done almost anything in his life. His training was superb. Uh, he, he studied in Caesarea. He trained in, in Constantinople. He trained in Athens and would have become, could have become easily a towering secular figure, certainly in the political life of the times. But he gave all of that up and desired always the life of prayer of solitude, uh, and then sharing that with others. And it's in that sharing it with others that I think uh, his family played such an important role. Truly the domestic church. Yes. 
Yeah. You know, we've uh, talked about uh, Gregory of Nyssa, uh, who's uh, one of his, his brothers. Uh, we've certainly looked at Gregory of Nazianzus, a doctor of the church who was uh, Basil's closest friend for so many years. But we can't talk about Basil without talking about this extraordinary family that he had. His father, Basil the Elder, was a famous practitioner of rhetoric. And um, you have in uh, this, this family, uh, going all the way back to his, his grandfather, was a martyr who was put to death in the last great explosion of persecutions. You have his uh, grandmother, uh, Macrina, the elder, uh, who was herself profoundly holy. And then you have um, his eight brothers and sisters. And of those, you have Macrina the younger, uh, who had such a profound influence on her brothers and sisters. You have Necrotius, who was a saint. You have Peter of Sebaste, who became a bishop. And then, of course, you have Gregory of Nyssa, who himself is, is ranked as the father of the church and was a bishop. So this amazing family, uh, starting with uh, Macrina the Elder, who had known in her time Gregory Thaumaturgus and had herself helped to lay the groundwork for so much of the faith in the area of Cappadocia. And as I said, you have Macrina the Younger, who was the eldest of all of the children, who had such a great influence on the development of the virtues and the Christian faith, especially in her brothers of, of Basil and Necrotius and Peter and Gregory. Think of the setting of that family and what came out of that family. So when we talk about Basil, we are talking about a doctor of the church. We're talking about a father of the church, but we're also talking about a son and a brother. And that too, I think, is a lesson for us. Mm. Any final thoughts on St. Basil? Yeah, I think um, for young people who are first coming to understand him, I, I, there's a great quote uh, that uh, he gave to young students who were about to embark on the study of philosophy and Greek literature. And I think it's a nice way to, to finish our discussions. He said, we Christians, young men, hold this human life is not a supremely precious thing nor do we recognize anything as unconditionally a blessing which benefits us in this life only. Neither pride of ancestry, nor bodily strength, nor beauty, nor greatness, nor the esteem of all men, nor kingly authority, nor indeed whatever of human affairs may be called great, do we consider worthy of desire or the possessors of them as objects of envy. But we place our hopes upon things which are beyond, and in preparation for the life eternal, do all things that we do. Accordingly, whatever helps us toward this, we say that we must love and follow after with all our might, but those things which have no bearing upon it should be held as nothing. Thank you so much, Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Yeah, it was great to be with you, Chris, and I look forward to our next conversation. You've been listening to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. 
to hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it in the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this program has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen.